Welcome into the LCRR podcast, episode one, season one. Joey Zanaboni here with a very special guest to start us off. It's the one and only John Boog Shambi from ESPN. He's also been the commentator for the Miami Marlins back when they were the uh, Florida Marlins. That's right. Is the Atlanta Braves. John, you're in New York so City. I'm number one. I'm the first. This is the first. You're the first wow. guest, first episode, first minute. I love it. All right. Big I'll honor behave. for you. <laughs> well, we hope not. Yeah. Uh, you're in New York City, John. Uh, yeah. Everything okay for you up there? Let's start there. Yeah, it's 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 been weird. It it's uh, you know I I was born in Philadelphia. I grew up here. I'm a, so I'm a city kid. And I actually was out doing spring. I was in Florida for a bit. I did some spring right. training in Arizona, and it was you know the week of March 10th or so. And I had a choice to stay out there or to come back home. And this is home. And it, it's been drastic. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, it, it's been scary at times and, anxi- and anxiety producing at times. There's no, there's no question. My, one of my parents is in the city um, and another is in New Jersey. And, you know, so just making sure that they're, they're okay by you know, by this really. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been different. I, the, the way I, I compare it the most is if you've ever been in New York city, when there's been like a really serious snowstorm, like a crazy blizzard, there's a calm and a quiet that comes and the vehicular traffic slows and the noise goes away. It's kind of like a blizzard without the snow is, is what yeah. the atmosphere like so so few people so few cars on the street well and such a a difficult time for everybody and what's made it so difficult is we're all kind of alone together but sort of isolated and alone and and uh part of the reason i wanted to have you on as the first guest was there was a tweet that you sent out about three or four days ago where you said uh i've been on every pod and or radio station in existence obviously you hadn't been on this one yet but uh, you said, my act is so tired, Uncle on Boog. Now, you also said, DM me or tweet me if you want to have me on your podcast. So I did. But I said it sounds my like, day's clear. I said my right. day's clear. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And so it sounds like you've been doing some some pretty serious uh, self-reflection. And uh, maybe at this point in the season, usually you're plunged into doing multiple games a week. Have you been kind of diving into the psyche that is John Shabby? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh I mean, I, I have a therapist. We're, we're FaceTiming. I, uh, yeah, man. It, you know, like, look, you can sit there and stay connected um, in this regard. But, yeah, I think, I think I'm pretty self-aware. So I don't, there's nothing about this that has struck me as or caught me off guard about it. But I would say you know, I realize that I like the, the real personal interaction. So I miss doing my job for sure. But when I do Wednesday night baseball, I miss seeing, you know, Jeff Dufine, my producer, you know, Jimmy Platt, the director, Andre, my camera guys, you know, Amy, Bruce, all the Greg Logan, all those guys that, you know, and, and the connection and on radio being there with singing Mm -hmm. and, you know, and Justin Ware, our producer, um, and on TV, my, you know, stack guy, Ivan, you, you miss the, the interaction, not to mention, 
you know, your partners on the air. I mentioned Singy, but Sutton this year we're right. going to work with Chipper, but and then the players and the coaches too. You get mm-hmm. you get used to to that connection, the energy that you get off of that. So this, I, I think, this only goes so far, and you need that um, that type of interpersonal connection, no doubt. And so what's the difference between Boog Shambi and John Shambi? You know, <laughs> it's funny. I, you know, we were just talking off the air about, about your career and I, you know, I just turned 50. I think I'm better than I was four or five years ago. And I don't know that if you would ask me when I was your age, by the time I was in my mid forties, where I think I've gotten better, but where, where I think, uh, where I think I've improved is, is in a, the answer to that question. And it is not much, hmm. it's not very much. And that's what everybody should be striving for. As I like to say that the gap between hmm. who you are on the air and who you are off the air, you're, you're trying to do this with it. Because once you bring, once you bring you, um, you know, you're most, I think we all want to be Scully. Right. You know, I think we all want to write verbal poetry and, uh, and have that thesaurus like vocabulary, but most of us realize that we, we can't, we don't. And then you just got to figure out what's you. So ultimately the stuff that makes people laugh or makes me laugh off the air is most of the stuff that I'll do on the air. So, so I would say, I I feel confident in saying, yeah, there's not a, there's not a ton different. Right. Well, in my own career, I just had a um, sort of a breakthrough year. I felt like in 2019, I'm sure you don't really know that much about myself, but I've had a few videos go viral uh, doing a lot of sort of one-liners and zingers. I'm known for making kind of crazy metaphors and similes. And uh, just a little bit earlier this week, one of the highlight reels was picked up by CBS Sports. And it's seen as kind of like a unique thing and a funny thing. And it's a lot of fun. I'm a fun-loving guy. And I'm somebody who just loves sort of the humorous nature of words. Uh, I was a poetry major. And I, I just love to sort of sculpt little stanzas and little uh, verses, couplets of um, often absurdist kind of humor. But I struggle with it because I think that as I've gotten just a little bit of traction kind of online um, with, I think, especially like younger people, college kids. um, Now I almost wonder, am I just playing sort of a character and kind of just trying to conform to their expectations a little bit? And it's not that um, I don't enjoy doing it, but what kind of advice can you give? Um, because you are a funny guy. I really enjoy listening to you because you actually make me laugh. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it does make the game a lot more enjoyable. But what kind of advice could you give about um, finding a way to keep it real during the broadcast as well as find the, find the humor? Yeah, so my... I mean, look, the, the, my sensibilities, I think it's, it starts with this. You have to trust your own judgment. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, what is the play-by-play guy? You know, you're, you're the ombudsman. You know, you're, the, you're, you're really making the content decisions. I mean, whatever, whether you're working with one guy, two guys, or, or no guys, and a producer, 
really it's on the play-by-play guy. Where is this going? I mean, other people can steer it at times, but re- but you have the steering wheel. And, you know, I trust my judgment in terms of finding what's interesting. So most games I'm trying, you know, going in, I'm going to try to figure out, um, and, and I trust my judgment on finding stuff that's interesting, trying to keep it smart, and um, and then, you know, I want to have fun. I want to play. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a sense of play. You know, I was, I mean, I was going through clips and I sent, I sent two clips to David Ross. Um, you know, though, I mean, these, no one has anything to do. So I was showing, I'm like, do you miss yeah. this? But it was, <laughs> you know, there was just one funny clip of a game that we had worked last year with Tim Kirchin, where Timmy, you know, starts with a story about going in spring training to the Braves clubhouse. And he, he gets, he's going to the door and he says, and a nice security guard says, don't worry about that. You don't have to pull it out. I've been reading and watching you for years. I love yeah. your work. Welcome yeah, in, Peter. And, <laughs> you know, they, 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 and then Rossi says, well, I was walking down the hall tonight. And as I, you know, I'm just, walking away a guy yells at me good luck tonight mr lester yeah and uh well similar uh, looking man <laughs> right. and then i finished with the story that was related to me probably five minutes after it happened but it was game one of the world series last or no it was 2018 game one going into fenway park and a guy outside of fenway showman's going in to call the game on the radio and a guy's like Mr. Shambi, Mr. Shambi, will you sign? Yeah. Showman's like, wait, who who do you think I am? Ha. He's like, Boog Shambi? And Dan looks at him and goes, I'm Dan Shulman. And the guy goes, I always get you guys confused. Well, if you guys, if you shaved your head, I think you would kind of look like Dan Shulman. You have kind of a similar facial structure. I'm going to tell him you said that. Uh, no, so what, anyway. I, I do, I, I do. I sent the clip, I sent the clip to, uh, you know, to Rossi and, and, and then we were just, and, and, and Rossi's tag on that was, Ooh, that's, I'm sorry for Dan. And I was like, Hey, I'm right here. I'm right here. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, put a little bit like that. And you look like Dan yeah. Schulman. Um, just Paul right there. Something, something. Well, who do you get? You, you gotta get a, you gotta get uh well, I'm like uh, John Cusack's buddy, Ari Gold from that. Ah, the- Jeremy Piven. Yeah, you get yes, that. Yes, I have got Jeremy Piven. I've gotten Jeremy Piven, Stanley Tucci. The biggest one is Paul Rudd. People say I I talk like Paul Rudd, but I feel like that's more like in like social is like, hey, I, you know, kind of okay. out of the bar or out of the Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd's a Kansas City, St. Louis ish guy, right? Good man, Paul Rudd. Yeah, so I'm in St. Louis for all of our. Yeah. With anybody who has their location settings turned off, I am in St. Louis, Missouri. And, uh, oh. yeah, I, I kind of – we have that sort of Missouri yeah. uh, setting, I guess. Yeah, you, ha- you have Jeremy Piven, like, gross point blank Jeremy Piven, you know, like back, back, yeah. Ah, you're, you're a little bit – you're a little bit uh... – <laughs> well, <laughs> Before my time here. Don't do it. It's too early in the interview. I'm your first guest. Come on. Ari Gold. I have to I have to ask here 
in terms of uh, just again, kind of situation we're going through. Yeah. Uh, kind of opening up on, on my end, you know, I've been doing this since 2014 and I've done right. a lot of games, probably about 150 or so a year and just have kind of geared my life toward it. And, and now it's the first time in probably about six years where I've really had to kind of stop and there's just not another live game kind of opportunity. And I've been dealing with kind of these feelings of, of despair and a little bit of depression and just kind of like a little bit of, you know, feeling of uselessness. Um, right. I do other stuff. I do some substitute teaching and I do some, but with schools closed down, it's kind of, it's tough to, yeah. to get that as well. And sure. I don't know. I, I don't know if maybe you have a pulse on the broadcast industry, but do you feel like that's something that other broadcasters, uh, people in sports media are feeling right now? I mean, we're all sort of searching to find, you know, places. I've been trying to do stuff weekly with Chipper Jones, and mm -hmm. we're doing a thing tonight on the Hall of Fame Instagram page just because it's got, you know, a bunch of followers. But I think I think everybody's struggling with it. I will say that for me, I've, I've told people that um, this week's been hard for me. And it's been a weird contrast. I think, look, in New York, we're in the epicenter and it's scary or it has been scary and it's serious. And I think that it's kept me in this today type of mindset. And I feel like the last few days, I, I, I've struggled more than at any point. And the reason is it feels like we're turning a corner. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I want us to turn the corner, but with us turning the corner, it, it then makes me start to think about, okay, so we're turning the corner and when are we going to get back to work and floating around back here is pretty clearly, yeah, not for a while. Yeah. So you start to, it, it starts to play with, holy shit, how long am I going to be doing this for? Yeah. Yeah. And, trapped. And so so for the most part, again, to restate, for about a month, I've been in the, all right, we're just, let's just do today and we'll get through today and it'll be, it'll be mm -hmm. fine. And, and mm -hmm. then as it starts to, you know, feel at least a tiny bit more hopeful, then you start to think broad picture and then it's, oh my gosh, this is, mm -hmm. this is going to be a while. So I, yeah, it's been I mean, every day hasn't been perfect for sure, but I've, I've been telling right. people the last couple of days, the last couple of days haven't been great. They've not been great. So it's been hard. It, it really has been. Uh, there have been some sort of rumors or potential kind of plans for Major League right. Baseball to, to play in Arizona. And I think people yeah. are kind of acquainted with that idea of playing at the spring training facilities without fans. Would you have any idea what the broadcast element of that might look like? They've no. talked about miking up players, but have they said anything about what you would do or play-by-play? -play no, like and, yeah. and, the, and the thing about it, you, you got to – look, I don't no, – no, I don't – and I don't think they do either. But you, mm -hmm. you got to remember, I guess the thing when I really think about it is this. I feel pretty confident, you know, and, and again, I'm here – so it, it resonates more. And even this is called, like, I don't think we're going to be watching sports with fans in the stands for a while. Like if you told me it wasn't going to be for a year, I wouldn't be like, no way. Sure. I think there's a chance we will not see fans in the stands for a year. Okay. 
But regardless, I think we all agree that it's going to be a while and that there's a pretty good chance we're going to start stuff up without fans in the stands. And so it's, you know, they're not just playing the games for competition's sake. You're playing the games for TV and for radio. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm not sure what they're going to do, but that, you know, we're going to be the ones in there transmitting what is it like and so forth. So you know, they, they're playing these games for TV. Have you ever done a game? Have you ever done a game without anybody in the stands where you have no uh, crowd noise or anything like that? I mean, I did the Marlins for eight years. Hey, hey, hey boom, uh, baby. <laughs> drive safe, everybody. Ah, this is uh, John Chavi. <laughs> I, I was doing a Marlins game in like 99, 2000. Uh-huh. And it was like the 14th inning they're playing the Expos. Yeah. And, you know, there's less than a thousand people. And that place, mm-hmm. that old place held six, hold 65,000 yeah, people. Yeah, cavernous. And it's, you know, the 12th or something like that. And whatever, you know, foul ball back and it's two and two. And then all of a sudden you just hear a guy just go, let's go Yankees! Just yeah. like, he, <laughs> like he was sitting next to me. So, yeah. uh, so I haven't, you know, I didn't do that Orioles White Sox game of a couple of years ago, but yeah, I know what it's like to have almost no one there. And by the way, not that this is a reason not to stop, but I've had more than one player and manager say to me, "Man, that'll kind of stink, and it'll be weird. Like for mm-hmm. a week, it'll be fun because you're back to work. But three weeks into the season, and there's no one in there." I mean, anybody that's going to spring training and you go to a B game on a backfield, what that's like, you yeah. know, where Mike Trout hits leadoff seven straight times. Well, I've done, I've done a lot of games without anybody in the stands. It is not quite as fun. There is a novelty to it. Um, I've yeah. done junior college and, and, you know, high school and some lower level college stuff where people just aren't out there. And it, it's a tough, it's a tough deal. Um, do you think it's feasible I guess from the the standpoint of I know that with that plan they've talked about having players sit six feet apart. So yeah. I, I guess one of the real hard things would be they wouldn't even be able to high five or to do anything like that. Uh, do you think that's even possible? I, I don't know. I mean, we can't sit here and pick apart a plan that they don't actually right. have. You know what I'm right. saying? They, because all those things that came out, I'm sure they wish had not come out because they don't have answers to all the questions. You know, as, yeah. as I like to point out, my biggest concern is for the people on the margins that have to participate in this, who are most vulnerable, who are being paid the least, what are the answers? So meaning, okay, the teams are quarantined. They're in a hotel. The people that clean the hotel rooms, are they quarantined? Drive the buses, right. Are, driving, are, are we really going to, we're going to pay them $10 an hour and make them stay away from their family for five months? What are, like, yeah. That doesn't, yeah. and then how do we keep it safe? And then not to mention the fact, if you can't start a pro sports league without wide scale testing and you mm-hmm. can't give a pro sports league wide scale testing unless everybody outside my window right now can get a test, right? right. I mean, or right. Detroit or New Orleans or St. Louis or everybody's got to be able to get their hands on a test. You can't have, you know, 
the Diamondbacks backup second baseman able to get a test and the average person in St. Louis or wherever not able to get a test. That's no, no, no good. Right. Well, to, uh, you know, as you said, pick apart details that are for a plan that probably doesn't actually exist or isn't uh, fine-tuned yet. Obviously, that's all in the range of hypothetical, but I guess kind of pivoting to baseball in general, there's been a lot of uh, talk about shortening the games and just yeah. talking about the realm of possibility. I think in the last five years, uh, the length of the game has has uh, grown by about 10 minutes despite some nascent efforts to to try to shorten it. And yeah. this year was supposed to be that that opportunity to uh, put in the rule about pitchers having to face three guys when they come in out of the, out of the bullpen. Not going to do anything. Not going to do anything. Do you no. think it's possible to shorten the game outside of just cutting down the number of innings? That uh, so it's is- not. It, it's to me, it's 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 not. Uh, it's in combination. This is the point that I make. It's these three things. It's length with pace. Mm-hmm. So the problem is three things are happening. It's not just that the games are getting longer. It's that the time between pitches is getting longer and the game's getting longer and the amount of time between action is getting longer. You can't have all three of those things happening. If, if the games were two and a half hours cut off or seven innings cut off, I, I would say two and a half hours, and there was – this little action, okay, but you can't have it be an hour longer and this little action. You know, in a perfect world, you'd like it to be shorter, quicker, and more action. Like all of those things, I think, for the future of the sport uh, is best. You know, there's a great Grant Brisby article from, I don't know, probably four years ago where he compared games from 30 years apart. You know, the biggest thing is that they just take longer to pitch now. Yeah. Um, so it's not just how long we're there. It's, it's, you know, last year I did a Yankee Blue Jays game and it was 15 minutes from first pitch in real time until the first ball was in play. Hmm. You can't have it. Right. You know, and I love it. And you right. can't, you just, you can't have it. So I think that those three things together, you got to work on all of them. It's just got to feel like you got to give me a little bit more. And if you're not interested in, in, in altering that, um, then you can't keep me there forever. If you could do one thing to make the game more entertaining and maybe appeal to the younger folks, the younger demographics, what do you think that would be? Well, I think so. I, I, I'm not, I will not allow the question. I, I can't be, <laughs> it can't be one thing. If you really sure. want to make it appealing, then I would say, look, I'm not a purist in any, I, nothing's off the table in my mind. So if you really mm-hmm. want to make it appealing, you know, like I went to a Ranger game fairly recently, hockey game. I'm pointing mm-hmm. downtown. That's, that's the direction of Madison Square Garden. Um, Absolutely. I knew that. And, and uh, of course, so uh, I had this weird thing. I was I was talking with someone about that the other day. I was saying, um, I was talking about someplace, and I started going over there. And I was like, yeah, that's where it is out that way. Uh, so, in order to appeal to kids, so it's got to, it's apples to oranges. Don't misunderstand, but it's like the home run derby. 
I mean, yeah. the home run derby was a torture session when it was 10 outs and it's just take, yeah. take, but then they put a clock on it and it's, you want to swing or not? What do you got? So, um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the, the thing about it's, it has to move. Mm-hmm. And I think it, there's only so much time. So I, I think, I think that the, my, my theory would be if you put in a hyper pitch clock, if you put, if you put mm. in a pitch clock, it was like 15 seconds. I think that that, that would certainly move it along. If you put a cutoff point, in, I'm not saying absolutely it has to be these things, right. but if you put in a hyper pitch clock, I think that would lead to more contact and the ball right. being in play because these guys are awesome. These, yeah. The players today are so whatever, they're not just swinging out of their asses trying to like it. There's, yeah. there's thought process behind all of it. So I, they've got to, they've got to tweak some stuff and you got to have the players on board. Um, well, there's a, there's a quote from catch 22 by Joseph Heller that I often think of, which is uh, the game had gotten so bad that it was good, or maybe it was, it had gotten so good that it was bad. And I think right. that, you know, with scouting and with, with, the charting that they do, the ability There's of no players question. to foul off pitches yeah. to stay alive. Yeah. It just, I, I think it lengthened. Yeah. Yeah, there, yeah. There's something there. So there's part of it is the information. Yeah. The reason that guys take so long, one is there's more max effort stuff, but the other thing is informationally, they think they have some of the answers to the test. So they're not down to just say, well, my slider is good. I'm going to throw a slider here. Yeah. They're, they're going through, okay, but this guy slugs X on sliders. Maybe I shouldn't throw him. So that decision-making process takes it longer. And I, I do think that there's something of what you're talking about that's, that's factored in. But it's, I mean, it is fascinating. Like talking about how fast we've gotten here with all these adjustments, um, it's really interesting. And the way, you know, the two seam fastball has disappeared because that plane of the way that pitch moves relative to a slightly uppercut type swing, Mm. that pitch gets slaughtered now. Yeah. Um, So there's a lot of interesting stuff. Well, I just, uh, I just name checked catch 22 here and a little, uh, shout out to a novel. You're a product of Jesuit education, which yes, uh, I, I am as well. There you and, go. and I guess I was kind of fascinated. I know we could go on and on about changes to the game and, and shortening the game, all that for a long time. But, uh, I was really curious, was there ever, when you were a kid, a uh, piece of fiction, poetry, something that wasn't really sports related that made you want to be an announcer? Was there something that just the words really spoke to you? Um, I don't know that I would say uh, that there was anything specific to a piece, but in high school, my freshman year, I had a, a speech class and the guy that ran a speech class, his name is Dr. John Tricamo and just retired two years ago at Regis, but he was my English teacher, I think the next three years, but he made me, maybe made was strong, but Regis has a really strong speech and debate program. And along the line, you know, guys like 
Jim Shudo was my high school classmate. He's on CNN now. Pablo right. Torre is another guy who was a speech and debate guy at Regis. So, but he made me do it because he just thought that I would be good at it. And I only did it one year. I did it as a sophomore. But he was the one that kind of grabbed me and said, this is, you, you, you have a skill set here that matches up with this. You should be doing this. So I, I would say that there's not a, there isn't a piece of, of literature or writing, but Dr. Tricamo is, is always in my head as far as um, just his influence on me. And um, yeah, I, you know, he was teaching grammar, which I am terrible with, but. Uh, oh, you're doing yeah. fine, John. What's that? You're doing, you're doing absolutely fine here. Um, <laughs> but he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's, he was a big influence. And uh, I would say that someone that sort of ushered me in the right direction. But he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's, he was a big influence. And uh, I would say that someone that sort of ushered me in the right direction. Well, I was uh, I was the city debate champ here in St. Louis in 2009. So we have that in, in common. I had kind of a similar experience. A teacher pulled me aside and said, why don't you, why don't you do this? And that kind of helped me to understand a little bit more about words. And some years later, I get into announcing. When you got into announcing, I think one of your, your big breaks was through Dave O'Brien, maybe. You had given him a tape. And I think I, I read something that you said, you know, I, I gave him the tape and he looked at me, he listened to it, he looked at me and said, boy, I thought that was going to be terrible and it wasn't. Yeah. And so right. is that a true, true story? I guess what, what did you give him and how did that kind of propel your career forward? I was doing updates and talk radio down in Miami and, and uh -huh. Hobie was one of the two radio voices along with Joe Angel. And I started going to Marlins games, doing games in with tape recorder. Mm -hmm. So I put together enough of a tape that I started to hand it out and I gave it to him. And then one day when I was at the ballpark, he said, hey, I listened to the tape. You want to sit down and, and we'll talk about it. And when we went to go sit down, he held up the tape and he said, you know, I thought this was really going to stink. And it didn't. And that was yeah. his, you know, and he he helped me a lot. And actually, I, I ended up with that tape getting a job doing short season A with the Boise Hawks. And it was, oh, through, yeah. a, it was through a friend of, it was through a guy who I'm buddies with now, Jim Frivola, um, who works out in Las Vegas for, uh, for their hockey team, but his, our mutual friend was Dan Levitar. Mm. So Dan got me connected with him. I ended up getting the job in Boise. And then when I came back at the end of 96, the Marlins were redoing their, their broadcast format. And I was lucky enough to just kind of, you know, glom onto that. Well, you got any crazy stories from, from short season A? That is uh, what I do as well with the Johnson City Cardinals. Uh, anything ever stand out that you still kind of uh, can't shake or don't want to shake? I, you, you know, plenty of stuff. You know, the, the manager was Casey Kochman's dad, Tom Kochman. He yeah. taught me a ton. You know, I still, uh, you know, the, the, the Astros bench coach, I guess, yeah, last two years was Joe Espada. He was the Southern Oregon 
shortstop, and I always, I always, you know, joke with him about that. There, yeah, there's, there's plenty, of, plenty of guys. Mark DeRosa was in Eugene, so I see Dero all the time, um, and just that. I mean, that's where I learned how to do it. My partner was Rob Simpson. He was great. I wasn't very good, but. I saw a part of the country I knew nothing about, the Northwest right. I knew nothing about, and it was gorgeous and amazing. And yeah, you still, you know, like I got, I got a Twitter DM last year from Matt Curtis, who was on the team, and he's uh, he was an assistant coach at USC. Now he's at Loyola Marymount, I think. But yeah, it's... I mean, all that sticks with you. It's all part of, it's all part of, uh, you know, I think your experience and Koch taught me a lot though, about, you know, he had such a great scouting background. He's mm. you know, scouted guys. Um, I mean, tons of Troy Percival and uh, Eduardo Perez, Howie Kendrick. So he's, uh, you know, he's, he's impressive Koch's. And so I learned a ton and I loved it. I loved being in Boise. It was great. You ever wish you could go back to that time in your career when it was maybe a little bit simpler? I don't know about that because I like just the, I, I, I love what I'm, what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about, it was, I mean, it, if you could just put me there for a little bit, sure. But I, I mean, I'm glad I did it. I don't, I don't think I yearn to still be doing it. Yeah. It's tough, but it's it's intimate. Um, I have no to tell the story. When I was in independent baseball, 2016, it was uh, the first year I worked for a team called the Texas Air Hogs of the American right. Association. And we had a preseason game, and it was it was just us broadcasting the game and uh, internet radio, no video. And there was a guy named Derek Callahan who pitched for the Yankees organization for a couple of years, and lefty out of uh, Gonzaga and he was supposed to go two innings and with two strikes and two outs in the second inning this guy slammed a line drive up the middle and hit him right above the eye and uh, the pitch was in the low 90s so I I think it was you know 100 some odd mile per hour coming off the bat and he just went down I mean he just fell to the turf and just just blacked out and um, before the game our little program had uh Showing me how many people were listening, which was 46. But I remember that there was a, a way that fans could make a username to show that they were listening. One of them was named P. Callahan. Oh, and when he got hit in the face, you know, there were multiple people on the field who said, yeah, as soon as, as, soon as that hit him, we thought he was dead. Um, I'll say it, it sounded the same coming off the bat as it did hit in his face. Yeah, we didn't really have anybody in the stands talking about stories where where nobody was in the stands. It was just a preseason game. And, um, you know, the weight of it just, it hit me in that moment. And I just, I just tried to do what I could. I, I had only been doing it for a couple of years and just said what I saw. And I'll never forget after about 20 minutes of, you know, the trainers and other people kind of gathered around him. He got on his feet and was able to walk off. And I just, I exhaled and I yeah. just you know, I just said, it's going to be okay. And I wasn't talking to, you know, a listener base. I was just talking to whoever was listening in, in the Seattle area where he was from. I just said, it's going to be okay. And what I was, what I was really saying was, you know, your son's not going to die tonight and you're not going to find out about it 
on a yeah. little internet radio app. And um, about two and a half months later, we were, you know, 25 miles from the division race. Uh, we were 34 and 65 that year. And we were on a bus trip to Joplin, Missouri from, from the Dallas area. And we, we drove up there and he was on the bus and it was just this, uh, he's going to pitch tonight. He's going to pitch tonight. And I did this pre uh, game interview with him. We talked about how he was able to come back and multiple plates put in his head and, you know, surgeries and, Oh, I, I broke down, you know, yeah. uh, after the interview. Uh, and part of the reason was he said, you know, that night that I got hit, my mom really appreciated the announcing. And he came out of the bullpen that night and put down 10 in a row and probably oh, had wow. four or five strikeouts. Oh, John, I, I cried. Yeah. I oh, cried. I yeah. Totally. I cried like, like I've, I've rarely cried in my life. And, and to me, you know, I've done some, some pretty cool stuff, some college national championship stuff and some, you know, affiliated minor league baseball and stuff like that. Yeah. But to me, Right. I've never seen anything more courageous than a guy come back after that yeah. when we weren't making a playoff push, we weren't going to win the championship or anything like that. He just came back, you know, for his own determination. And I guess from my perspective, my own kind of, you know, selfish perspective or whatever, you know, as a broadcaster, it just, I, I thought, you know, 99.9% of the time in this business, it's, it's not going to be as serious as that. But on that night, you know, there wasn't any other way for that, for that family to find out uh, what was happening. And, and, oh, it's always stuck with me. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess that I've got a list of things here I was going to ask you about. But, but I was, I was going to talk about, you know, kind of making that transition from minor league to major league and what's that like. Um, but I guess that, I guess that there's the nuts and bolts and I'm sure you have, you know, a lot of people kind of ask you, how did you do it? And how did you go from Boise to to Florida and, and from Florida and, and uh, Atlanta to the MLB? But, you know, do, do you ever, do you ever think that, you know, um, sometimes maybe, uh, I don't know, is it, has it changed for you? Is it still everything that you wanted it to be? Uh, as you found more success, I know that's a long way to get to kind of a strange question, but can you kind of see where I'm going with that? Yeah. Um, I mean, look, I needed reps. I wasn't that good. And it took me a while to get mm -hmm. to a place where I felt, you know, confident that I was just going to nail the descriptive nuts and bolts and, yeah, I just, I needed the reps. And then the same thing when I went to Atlanta to go do the games on TV. Yeah. That was, that was helpful. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's been a process. I certainly, I haven't, ex, you know, however others look at me, I have not experienced it as that it was easy right from the start. Not that I was fighting it, but it's, it's changed along the way. I, I would say, and now I feel you know, way more settled in, yeah. You know, with how I do it, and you know the you way. You get nervous before a broadcast. Still get no, nervous? I get, but I get excited. You yeah. know, like not nervous, not nervous. Um, I'm excited to 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 do it. I'm excited yeah. to. You know, I said I, but I, there's a confidence to it. I, I don't. I, because I don't feel an uncertainty. 
I feel comfortable um, that we're, we're going to do something really good. Uh, yeah. and that's, that's exciting. It's a good feeling. Um, you know, it's, and it, but it, and, and then some nights you don't, and because it's live and you can't predict the way, you know, things are going to go, whether it's radio or TV, but I, I just, I love it. And I enjoy it as much now as I did when I was seven years old. So I, I mean, I just, I, I love it. I love doing it. I love doing baseball. I like doing basketball too, but baseball is, you know, where, yeah, it's where I grew up. Um, both sides of my family, mom's side, dad's side, love baseball. And I just, I really, I really enjoy it. So, there, I mean, it depends, you know, like you said about getting nervous, like it's not flat in any, like I'm excited. It's, it's, it's exciting once it starts. There's no question. How often do you go back and listen to your own games? Um, here and there, I, the, the one piece of advice that I, that I got that I liked when I would, when I would do it more frequently though was, and this is hard because you're trying to get better and there's an immediacy to it. But I do really believe in this idea that if you want to give yourself the best chance to evaluate yourself, that you probably should wait two weeks before you listen back to something so that you're listening to it at least a little more the way a listener would, as opposed yeah. to, okay, here's the part where I think I said, you know what I mean? Like, right. and you forget and, some of the details and kind right, of that, fresh ears. Yeah. But that you, you, you're, you're coming at it a little bit, a little bit differently, but I, you know, for the most part, I feel like I get out of there and I know when it wasn't that good and I know when it was good. And do you ever get frustrated with a broadcast that well, I just didn't have it tonight? Absolutely. And how do, how do you get through? What's the salve that you put on that wound? I get to do it again real soon. Yeah. But yeah, every once in a while, you just, there's, you know, your timing's crappy. Yeah, absolutely that happens for me. I'll also say... In, in the same way about listening back, it's never as bad as you think it is. And it's probably not as good as you think it is yeah. either. If you, when you, right. when you, when you listen back to it, but yeah, I, there are times when I certainly experience it as just can't get my timing quite down. You know, maybe that's more on a radio side and on TV, just make some bad choices here or there. Um, yeah, you, uh, for sure. I still get that every now and again. What's the greatest game you've ever called, or do you kind of rank it in your head? Do you have something that stands out? Man, I, it's such a funny thing, right? I like. Uh, I got to call Halliday's no hitter in the playoffs yeah. in 2010. That was amazing. There's only been two of them, and I. Yeah, I. I was happy with the job I did. My voice cracked a little bit at the, in the final call, but I, I was happy with, with that. And I, you know, as a, I mean, on a resume, that would be one. When Alex Gonzalez hit the extra inning homer in game four against the Yankees, of the 03 world series, 
uh, like that's that's another moment. Um, another as in terms of a, a moment was game two of the 2013 LCS when Ortiz hit the homer where Torrey Hunter flipped mm. over the ball mm-hmm. was one of those just the place was electric and it was so dead and then was crazy. It was, uh, it was pretty wild, but I don't have them ranked in my head. I re- yeah. they all sort well, of, you've got a group, you've got a group of games that yeah. you kind of say, I, what was the game that you felt like, all right, now I've made it. I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. And now I'm here. There's some sirens. Um, Cops are coming for you if you can't no, answer this question. No, like unfortunately, <laughs> it's funny that. Oh it's, no, it's probably the ambulances, right? I'm I'm close to I'm close to a hospital, right? And so the thing that's changed in terms of the ambient noise, or I think of it as ambient noise, is now whenever there's a siren. The last month, it's stopped yeah. me from taking someone to the hospital. Um, yeah, I would say. Yeah, if that's a good question. I think I've made it, I would say, calling my first All-Star game in 2010. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, I recognize that in today's world, it's not as big a deal. But for me as a kid, I can remember being away at, like, baseball camp and listening to, like, Harwell or Scully call it. And that I was – you know, there are two people calling it, you know, in terms of in the U S Joe Buck's on TV and I'm on radio. Sure. I would say that that in 2010, it was Anaheim. I was calling the game with Dave Campbell. I, the all-star game always. And I know that for a lot of people, I still think the baseball star game has still has some oomph to it. Ratings or whatever aside, I still think, it's still a, a cool thing and it's yeah, it's the only sporting event going on. And and if you're in the radio, you're listening to me. And if you're on TV, you're listening to Joe. So I, uh, the, the all-star game always kind of underlines to me. Yeah. What I get to do is pretty cool. Well, before I let you go, John, I, I read a quote about um, sort of the future of broadcasting from you. And I think you said something like, you know, we can't broadcast games. It's not possible to broadcast games as they've, been done in the past. And I was wondering if maybe you could just expand a little bit on that. Uh, I've kind of on social media branded myself as a broadcaster who aims his work at millennials. I think right. that uh, young kids are looking for uh, something occasionally with more of an absurdist bent. And that's just been my kind of observation and sort of the way that I've oriented uh, some of my work. But uh, for yourself personally, uh, what do you see as the future of baseball announcing? I know we talk a lot about like miking up players, but maybe strictly yeah. in terms of the play-by-play, in terms of the guys in the booth and, and the ladies in the booth. Yeah. Um, I I don't know what I see the future as. I You know, I just, I'm just guided by my own sensibility. You know, one of the things I have a strong opinion on is, there's something about baseball with the amount of space, you know, the things that we were talking about earlier, you're asking about the game, like those are intertwined with the broadcast. There's more space to fill now. There's yeah. more dead time. Um, and yet I still think that 
the majority of broadcasters come along and their guiding voice, at least initially, is like a 66-year-old white guy. And everyone starts soft speaking that way and sounding that way, even when you're 22. And hopefully, eventually, everybody gets out of that. I'm an advocate for just speak the way you speak. Um, you know, do you, I, I know that that's simplified, but stay away from sort of the, you know, the broadcastery type stuff. And I, I think you want to have fun. I think, you know, I, I'm trying to provide, I'm a big stat head and you know, that it, I'm not going to sit there and turn it into math class. I'm not going to mm-hmm. try and break down the formula for WOBA, but I also will tell you, um, you know, that in 2009, what the first pitch fastball percentage was in Major League Baseball compared to last year and how much it's changed. And that's the same stuff, you know. So I think when you're doing that and then you're trying to play a little bit and not taking yourself too seriously, I think that I probably play younger than I am. Oh, I think so. Absolutely. And so – I don't know what, you know, I don't want to speak for the way it'll go. I just, I trust the way that I do it. I think I'm decent at connecting to the younger folks and um, yeah, just, I kind of trust my judgment on it. So I don't know where the, I hope it'll be more access. You know, we did that all access game with Brian and Rizzo and they were incredible. That was fun. Yeah. Did it, and then you know, I, I I was in spots when I had to just kind of poke them a little bit, and then I got good stuff out of them, and then they would go and uh, and I love that, I love it. So I mean, that game, man, I was smiling. That's a good example of a rarity where I'm doing that game, thinking to myself, "Well, this is great." You know what I mean? It's not like you know, you do a broadcast and then you finish and then it's like, okay, that was pretty good. But that one was one of those where like, as you're in it and listening to the two of them talk and the stuff that they're saying and all of you're in it going, yeah, this is, this is good. Like you just knew it, you know? And then even after the fact, having Cubs players and other players tell me that they were supposed to go home and they stayed in the clubhouse to watch. It was so entertaining. Yeah. Does that mean more to you when the players say they like the broadcast than just the average fans? I don't think so. I, <laughs> I would say this. Um, I think the, it, what means the most is when you have, uh, you have a sensibility and someone, I, I think we all have an idea about what we think we're good at. And if someone gives you the compliment that kind of matches up with that, that probably is the thing that means the most, regardless of who it's from. So like someone saying, I like your voice, whereas like, it was, I don't, Rob Nyer or Bill James were watching me do a Kansas game one time. I can't be, they're both in Kansas city and they, and I can't, but one of them was like, you know, the thing I like about Boog is he doesn't say dumb shit. Yeah. And like, <laughs> that's, that's the bar for me. Yeah. You know, like, Pete, you know, yeah. like, think about it. If I put you on the air for three straight hours, 
If the bar is just don't say dumb shit for the people that don't do, that's not so, it's not so easy to pull off. Right. It's if, not. Because, We've only because, been on for 54 minutes and I've been because you're, right now. Content, you're, you're, you have a choice here and a choice here and yeah. a choice here. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like both right. happen. Like that at some point, and in a live broadcast, there's a chance you're going to say dumb shit. So like, you know, getting that compliment is like, oh man, that's really nice of you to, <laughs> to say. I yeah. Didn't yeah. say anything really stupid. Do you aim your broadcasts at anyone in particular? Do you act like you're talking to an individual or do you just talk to the listener base as a whole? Uh, mm, I'm not sure. Well, if you're up there with chippers, say, I know you guys haven't done, you know, a ton yet, but are you guys talking to each other or are you more cognizant of talking to the, the audience? I think it starts with, we're talking to each other, Yeah. but I'm, I'm conscious of, I would say this, I, it's, it's, you're talking and start on TV. I think of it, it's, we have a very active truck. Jeff Dufine's been my producer. He's magnificent. He's moving on. He's now the Sunday Night Baseball producer. Um, Jimmy Platt was our director. He's now the Monday Night Football producer. I mean, director. And one of the things that they would do is they would they would key their mic and leave it open so that at times, if I were to take a shot at Sut or Rossi and really get them good, yeah, they just open their mic so I can hear the whole truck laughing. Sure. So to some extent, and then you know, if somebody says, you know, if when Rossi says, "Ooh, you know that," I feel bad for Dan, and I would just kind of look in the camera like, "Yeah," you know. So I guess I'm probably playing to the truck and to the people here, but I'm cognizant that there are people there are people watching for sure. You ever said anything that you felt like kind of crossed the line, maybe to one of your partners or something like that and, and regretted it? I can give you a story if you need to be loosened up. I was in the Frontier League, independent uh, baseball, 2014. Now, this wasn't really an insult, but there was a little chopper down the third base line, and it was a close play at, at uh, first base, and, and they got our runner, the Washington Wild Things versus the River City Rascals, and I was with the Rascals, and they got our runner, Brian McConkie, and... I wanted to say uh, uh, it was close and uh, he almost beat it out. Uh, it almost pulled him off the bag. And instead I said, boy, that was close. He just beat him off the bag. And I just thought, right. of, uh, and I remember saying afterward, you know, Hey, Oh, hold on. Hold on there a second. Uh, yeah. You ever have a moment like that? That was kind of like oh, a, a slip. Absolutely. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's, well, yeah. there's so many here, Boog, huh? <laughs> there's enough of them out there that with the internet, I'm not going to direct anyone. But yeah. yeah. And then as, and then editorially every once in a while. I mean, I don't think anything egregious, but absolutely. You have, yeah. I'm trying to think if there was a, a good, uh, I mean, look, I, if I, I think that part of what I do, I can remember doing a game with Aaron Boone and, and Mark Mulder, and there was some pitcher hitting for the first time, and he stood in, and just the way he was standing there, and I said, well, he, he certainly looks like he can hit. 
And there was just like a pause. And I was like, I'm not really sure why I said that. That was really stupid. Yeah. And that was the sequence of the commentary, you know? Sure. But, and so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm as ready to, to bury myself when I, when I do dumb stuff. So. Would you ever want to do a game just by yourself? No analyst, no color commentator? No. Nah, I, I mean, I, I'm amazed at what Vin was able to do. The only other yeah. person I think that's in that family that really could pull that off would be John Miller. Yeah. I, I, he's he's the guy, but I I think I think uh, America gets enough of me. I think yeah. I think yeah, I, <laughs> I, I need somebody else. I, I'm I'm tired of me. Dream partner. Well, I, how about this? I know you're a big basketball fan. You're a big yeah. NBA fan. How about you and yeah. Doris Burke together? What would that? I be? love Doris Burke. Yeah. Doris, we've worked one or two games together. Um, I'm such a big fan of her. I want to see crossover with her in the baseball booth. You know oh, what I mean? And it's such a nice thing where, like, I'll be doing Sunday Night Baseball and Doris will send me a text or something or a Wednesday yeah. Night game and she'll send me a text. And just – and I'm watching her. And I mean, whether it's as an analyst or as a reporter, she's she's so good. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. She's so good. Doris uh, Burke is my celebrity crush, and I hope she's right? listening. Yeah. Oh, but, you know, I'm going to cut this clip later here, John. So hopefully. Okay. She's, uh... So, you know, it's funny because I, I really was, uh, you know, before she moved on to the NBA. Right. Um, I thought, you know, she and I would get a chance to maybe do some more college together, but yeah, yeah, she's she's amazing, and I mean, as far as dream partner. You know, the last few years, the people I've gotten, you know, working with, with Rick Sutcliffe has been a lot of fun. And Rick Sutcliffe and David Ross. And honestly, I'm excited about getting a chance to work with Chipper. I think Chipper and I are going to are gonna do a really good job. And, and, and we'll be with Sut a lot of the time. So it's going to be good. Greatest interview guest you've ever had? On air. Live on air. Not something maybe pre-recorded. But who was the best? He came up to the booth and just knocked it out of the park. Or she. Um, I mean, we had Rob Manfred on during opening day a couple years ago, and I and I knew we were going to have him on, and I almost it was the first year of the Mount Visit thing, and I was gonna, I almost I joked with Brian McCann before the game to like, okay, the commissioner is going to be on in the third, go out to the Mount and take like a long time and maybe look up to the booth. And then we were laughing about it. And then I actually told the commissioner that I had thought about planning to do that. And he mm -hmm. belly laughed hard. And that yeah. kind of me. Um, the first thing that comes to mind, I don't know why I'm blanking. The first thing that comes to mind as far as an in-game interview would be Sandy Koufax. Oh, wow. There's just something about, I'm not a Dodger fan. Um, he doesn't do a ton of interviews and he came and sat with us during Jackie Robinson day. Yeah. And that's an exact, and that was, this is inside the last four years, five mm -hmm. years. Um, and I was nervous. He just, he's, he's kind of, he's, can you be kind of regal? He, there's, there's a, he, he feels well, like Prince Harry has been, has been testing the limits of that theory right there. So well, that's, uh, <laughs> it's possible. 
I, I, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, I was pretty blown away by, by Sandy Koufax. That's for, that's, well, that's a, that's a heck of a guest and you've been a heck of a guest, John. I know you've got, uh, maybe, uh, a few other things to do. You're doing something for the hall of fame, uh, tonight, right. With Chipper Jones, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. I think we're going to do that weekly. We're going to do that on the Instagram live thing, uh, seven 30 Eastern. So, I don't know. Check out the Baseball Hall of Fame Instagram page, and and what'll be the topic? Are just baseball in general? Are you talking about the Hall of Fame? What are you? What are you guys talking yeah, about? Whatever we run into. Yeah. Well, when you're at your level, you can pretty much just decide, right? Well, I don't. <laughs> I don't. He, you know, it's like every week he tells good stories, and we just go down, and so it sort of just weaves in and out in terms of what's happening in the game today. What about that time? What team do you wish you would have played for if it wasn't the Braves? Who would have been part of it? I got to ask if you can give a spoiler. Who would that have been if he had not been with the Braves? He said, well, he grew up a Dodger fan. Uh. His favorite player was Pedro Guerrero. So the two uh. were – it was funny because I knew that the other one was likely going to be the Yankees because his dad was a big Mickey Mantle fan. So he sure. said the Dodger – he said, well, it would be two. And he'd say – he go he's uh, – he said Dodgers, Pedro Guerrero, and then the other team, and he gets kind of the, you know, the Cheshire Cat look, and I'm like, come on, say it. I'm like, I know, come on, say it. And he's like, the Yankees. And I'm like, that's yeah. right. I was not, I was a Phillies fan as a kid. But, uh, yeah, so, and then when, and then we asked him who, Smoltz, Maddox, Glavin, who would you prefer to face? And he said yeah. Smoltz. So, hey. I think I think he also said it just to piss John off, but. Former St. Louis Cardinal great, John Smoltz, right? I saw somebody, I, and, you know, John and I have become friendly. We were together in Atlanta for two years, but I've seen a John Smoltz Cardinal jersey t-shirt and a Red Sox John sure. Smoltz jersey. Ooh, even rarer. And, I'm, and I take pictures and I'm like, and I'll send it to them and be like, what, what were these people thinking? I was in Pensacola, Florida, University of West Florida, and we were doing um, the NCAA soccer tournament. So it was West Florida versus Lee University in the round of 32. And his daughter, Carly Smoltz, okay. uh, was actually playing on the Lee University team. Right. And it was during the the World Series that time of year. And so I had just been watching the World Series uh, the night before. And we went into overtime and... Uh, Carly, I don't think got into the game, but she came out as one of the captains to do the coin flip before overtime. Right. And so I said, uh, you know, uh, such and such for University of West Florida. And look at this. It's Carly Smoltz for Lee University. You know, I believe she's the daughter of former St. Louis Cardinal great John Smoltz. And of course, it being Pensacola, you know, mostly Braves fans. People I got a lot of, oh, I got a lot of dirty looks. And I just, oh. <laughs> I Come just on. laughed. It's like, it's a joke. Yeah, that's a good line. Good line. I, I thought it was a great line. You know, the coin flip was not the most exciting part of that game, so I thought I did a good job to kind of liven the moment a little bit. That's right. And, uh, yeah, it was it – was, uh, but I said, you know, hey, look at that. I was watching John last night, listening to him, and now he's out there at Internet Radio and Television Land listening to me. Hey, John, how you doing? You know, and <laughs> – it was funny, but hey, if you ever see him, ask if uh, yeah, ask if he uh, if he was watching me there. No, I'm kidding, but uh, you know, John. Oh, go ahead. I, I'm, no, I will. I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask him that now. 
Joey Zanaboni. Uh, well, you've been a great guest, John, and uh, you've been uh, just terrific to listen to through the years. Definitely an inspiration myself. And uh, this being the first episode ever of the LCRR podcast, I could not think of ever, anybody out there, anybody ever, that would have been a better guest than you. So thank you so much for being with us. Bad judgment by you that I, that, that no, nobody, no, no, I'm joking. Th- I really, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was awesome, John. Well, I will uh, talk to you again soon and uh, stay safe during this crisis and uh, be well, my friend. All right. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you.